Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner and you're listening to Pregnancy, Parenting and Politics, the podcast where that's what we talk about. We talk about all the ways that our health, pregnancies, bodies, families, and the times we're parenting in are all connected with politics and current events. For those of you who are new here, welcome. I am the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, which is available wherever you get your books. I'm a registered nurse with 20-ish years experience working in labor and delivery. I'm the mother of several grown kids, and I'm an advocate for improving maternal health and women's lives all over the darn world. So this week, politics is the name of the game. Last night, Amy Coney Barrett was installed on the Supreme Court bench, and that is a game changer in terms of how our opinions and views are representative, and it swayed the court to extreme conservative power. Right now, we have more very conservative Supreme Court judges than we do liberal or moderate judges. It's a six to three ratio right now. Since these judges are installed for life, or until they decide to retire, their opinions will sway the laws of the land for decades. Now, I am very frustrated by this process. I am infuriated by the Senate pushing her nomination and confirmation hearing through, and for doing all of this during an election, while we are voting. It's a power grab, and one that may impact women's health and women's lives, and our families' lives for decades. It's the week before the most historic and important election of our lifetimes, and this this makes me feel pretty optimistic. We're seeing people show up for early voting at the polls and turning in their mail-in or absentee ballots in numbers we've never seen before. We're seeing politics and democracy in action, at the polls, despite the long lines, the intimidation, the pandemic, the hardship, people are showing up for this election. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm also a little wary because in 2016, I could not imagine that Trump would be elected via the Electoral College. I could not have imagined how much damage this administration and president would cause. So for this election, 2020, I am voting hoping and encouraging others to get out there and do their civic duty. It has never been more important. What else? Well, unfortunately, we are seeing numbers for COVID cases and deaths spiral and spike all over the country. And we're finding out that the government has no plans to contain it. That means it's up to us. Now, COVID fatigue is real, folks. We're tired and we're tired of it. But the fact is, that doesn't really matter. The virus is not impressed with our COVID fatigue, and it's going to take advantage of us letting down our collective guard, and it's going to spread farther and wider. That is, unless we take care of this ourselves. We know what needs to be done. Masks, hand washing, social distancing, and staying home as much as possible. And We also need to make sure that our families are doing the same. Now, it's going to be super hard this season because the holidays are here. It's Halloween this weekend, and that's officially the start of it, right? 
This year, my family is not handing out candy or answering the door. It breaks my heart not to, but it's just not safe. For Thanksgiving, we're not getting together with our extended families. Instead, we're celebrating small and close and with just our group, and I'll miss the big event, but if we got each other sick, I'd miss my family more. Okay, this will be the last time that I nag you this year to make sure you turn in your ballots, everybody. Vote, my friends. We are counting on you. Let's turn this country around, shall we? Okay, we are going to take a super fast break, and then we'll get our favorite midwife, Chris Beard, on the line to talk about COVID, pregnancy, birth, and politics. All right, we're back, and we're ready to talk with Chris Beard. Now, Chris has been on the podcast many times to help answer listener questions and email, and oh, we've talked about a lot of topics. This week, I want to hear her thoughts on the politics of our time and how she's doing as a hospital-based midwife during COVID-19. So let's get Chris on the phone. Hi, Chris. It's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, Jeannie. I'm good. How about you? I'm good. We are having such a beautiful sunny day here in Portland. Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it. A beautiful, slightly cool, gorgeous fall day. You know, you and I both live in Portland, but we're at sort of different ends of the city. And depending on where you are in Portland at any given time, you could be texting somebody in there saying it's raining and you're in a little sun pocket. We're all in the same town. It's just our, our weather system changes that fast. There are many microclimates to Portland, that is for sure. Yeah, it's really something. I remember when we first moved here a million years ago, somebody said, if you don't like the weather in Oregon, wait five minutes. And I thought, hook, hook, hook. nope, that's true. <laughs> it's totally true. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's um, get our listeners who don't know you yet up to speed with the big question. Who are you and what do you do? My name is Chris Beard. I am a nurse midwife in Portland, Oregon. I work for Kaiser Permanente. I am the mother of two young adults, and I spend as much time in nature as I can. Yeah, yeah. Avid traveler and camper. Two young adults, but they're still teenagers. So young adults. They are. That's a different thing. A young adult is a different thing than a teenager, I think. They are young adults. Well, you know, it depends on the day. Today, they're young adults. Yesterday, they were teenagers. Mm. You know, it's kind of about what's happening during the day. Yeah, I'm familiar with that syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They fluctuate about as fast as Portland weather does. They're very mercurial. Yes. Yes. We could keep this weather metaphor going for a bit if we wanted to. But let's let's get on to talking about other things. So um, in addition to all that, you're a regular guest here on the podcast. And um, our listeners always really love it because you work in the hospital where the people are having all the babies and you know what you're talking about. You know what you're seeing. And um, yeah, you draw a lot of listeners. It's really nice. Yeah. So Well, I enjoy being a guest on your pod. It's always uh, food for thought and um, happy to be here. Good. Yeah. 
Well, last month we talked about asthma and pregnancy um, because, you know, we were all going through the fires all over the West Coast. And this month, um, I'd love to get an update from you about where you're at and what you're seeing in regards to COVID. Because what are we now, like eight months in? Almost eight months? I think so, because I think the first glimmer that I had of COVID uh, was in February. Mm -hmm. Late February, I had a patient who um, I just saw recently for her, she was about seven weeks postpartum. So she came in for a visit in February and she was one of the first people to mention COVID because her, her in-laws had just been on a cruise. Mm. And so I, I had been aware that there was something happening because both my daughters are from China. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had an ear towards, you know, what's happening in China, both politically and public health wise. So I knew that there was this virus from Wuhan, but I didn't know much about it. So yeah, February till now. That's when so it that came is, on your radar. That's yeah. when it came on my radar. And, you know, I was, I think when it, when it became very clear that it was going to be a problem for us was in, you know, mid, mid March-ish. Mm -hmm. And um, at least that's when it became clear to me that it was going to be a problem. And we've been living with it ever since. So it is now middle October. So I would say, yeah, it's been eight to, it's been eight-ish months. Yeah. And, you know, what I'm seeing right now is that I'm following uh, the numbers and it looks like um, COVID cases are exploding all over the country. And even though in Oregon, we've been fairly, our numbers have been fairly low and our percentages have been fairly low. I think that that could change at any minute. And I'm looking at the reports from states like uh, Wisconsin and North Dakota, South Dakota, Idaho, all of those states are, you know, what they call in the red, which means they're their infective, their infectivity, infectiousness. I don't know what I don't know what the right word is, but their their rate of infections is, you know, very dangerous. And there are places where they have no ICU beds left. Yeah, and they're shipping. And like Idaho has run out. I've, I this is not necessarily a fact, but I had read that Idaho is having to outsource to other states. That's what I've read as well. And same with Wisconsin. They have like one ICU bed left in, um, oh, excuse me, it's North Dakota, one ICU bed left in Fargo. Mm. And they've had to, you know, outsource people to other places, including other states. Yeah. yeah. So, so COVID has been around. And although, you know, I've had, I mean, Oregon has had not that many cases in comparison to other states, our numbers are going to probably go up as well. And, you know, as a healthcare provider, um, when I go to work, I am wearing, I am geared up, you know, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing scrubs that can be removed immediately so that I don't bring any germs home. I'm, I have a special pair of shoes that I wear to work. I, you know, I have uh, a special bathroom in my house that I use so that I don't drag any hospital germs, you know, into my inner space. I'm wearing a scrub hat for the first time in years. I'm wearing, you know, I wear glasses, but I also wear a face shield and I have a special N95 mask. So the fatigue of having to wear all that gear is 
it, I'm tired of it. Yeah. My nose hurts from wearing a mask and, you know, it's, it's rough. And, you know, we're seeing patients in the clinic who are afraid of COVID, um, who are doing everything they can to keep themselves and their family safe. But the fact of the matter is they're having a baby in a pandemic. And, you know, since about 50% of the pregnancies in the U.S. aren't planned, you can assume that at least some of those people were surprised by their pregnancy and they might not have intended to have a baby in a pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you, you're seeing a lot of, of women who are delivering now, but are you seeing many women? Are you seeing we having a baby boom or a baby bust? Are you seeing a lot of women or are fewer women coming in pregnant? I think it's a baby bust. I think there are fewer pregnancies. Um, and that's, that's not, you know, I'd have to actually look at the data to say for sure, oh, yes, there are fewer. But just my gestalt is that I am seeing fewer people coming for their new OB visit. Hmm. And so, so I think there probably are fewer pregnancies right now. What do you suppose? But I guess we'll find out, right? Yeah. So what's what's your your guess as to why that is? Well, I think, you know, for people who are planning a pregnancy, they probably are not going to want to have a baby right now, mm-hmm. both for financial reasons and for practical reasons. I mean, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that, I, you know, I still have work. People still need health care. People are still having babies. And I still have a job. My, my job has not been impacted. But I think that there are so many people who have lost their jobs or their job circumstances have changed. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great time to bring a baby into the world if you don't have a job or if you've lost your housing or if you're unstable in any other way. Yeah. And so that's my guess. Yeah. Yeah. I and right there with you. And, and I also think that we're probably seeing, you know, maybe some couple fatigue too, if people are hanging out in the same house all the time together. It's been eight months. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. It's been a while now. Yeah. So how are you living? I mean, we, we read the paper, we look at things, people are out and about. Um, you know, if you didn't know any better in some parts of the country, you'd think that there was no pandemic and then it was all over. Whereas I'm still pretty, um, not quarantined, but I'm not going out much, you know, grocery store, essential errands, walks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? So that's, that's pretty much how I'm living as well. You know, I have two kids who are distance learning at home And when the weather was good, they were social distancing with their friends in the park. You know, one of them was in a book group, book club, and one of them was taking regular walks with a buddy of hers who lives around the block. But now that the weather is not not necessarily great for just sitting around outside, um, they're not doing that. And for myself, so they're not going out. And for myself, I mean, I do go to the grocery store, but I have to say my kids have eaten more uh, pantry meals than than they would normally because, you know, frequently it was my habit to just stop at the store on the way home from work and pick up, you know, stuff for fish tacos or something, you know, because I'm not a great uh, 
menu planner, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to the grocery store much. I mean, I go probably once every two weeks. Um, I certainly don't, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to the coffee shop. I'm not going to the bar. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And we, one of the things that is a change for my family is that we don't eat out much, mm-hmm. but I have to try to support my local, you know, mom and pop restaurants. So we have gotten more takeout. We get takeout like once every two weeks to try to, you know, give those restaurants that are trying to keep going a little bit of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we do, because we have a self-contained camper, we have managed to get out um, during the summer. We, t- we took a couple of trips where we were able to be completely, uh, completely self-contained. I wouldn't say off the grid necessarily, but, you know, out there without um, putting ourselves at risk for, you know, coming in either spreading COVID if we happen to have it, which we didn't, or coming into contact with COVID out in the world. So fortunate. Whenever I yeah, see, very lucky. Whenever I see your posts, I'm very, very jealous. And now on my wish list of things for, you know, what I want in life is a um, camper van like you have. That's what I want. Yeah. yeah. Pretty fun thing. Well, you know what? Last night when we were talking, you were so excited about the custom N95 mask. You were so excited about it. It was going to be life changing. How do you like it now? Well, I'm really glad I have it. Mm-hmm. It is an N95 that because I realized that COVID was going to be around for a long time, that I needed something comfortable to wear at work that would protect me, that the masks that they dole out of the door at the hospital were, you know, not comfortable when you're wearing them for 12-hour shifts. Yeah. So I have this fancy N95 respirator that is great, but, you know, I'm still kind of annoyed that I have to have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's still uh, a lot of weight to carry, a lot of nuisance. It is a lot of weight to carry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot of nuisance. And it, you know, I'm just as annoyed as the next person about needing to wear a mask. Right. But you wear it. Because the, the, <laughs> the truth is we shouldn't be here. Yeah. If we'd had a responsible national response, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. You know, I look around at other countries while they might be seeing an increase in their numbers, they don't have 220,000 people who have died. They don't have, you know, I don't know what I, what it was I read recently that there's like 5,000 people a day being diagnosed with COVID. Yeah. It might, that might not be the correct number, but I do know that we've had over 220,000 U.S. citizens dead of COVID. And most of those people did not have to die. Right. Right. And yet we're not seeing um, in, in the section of people who are anti-maskers and feel like their rights are being violated and that this is all a hoax, that's a very small group of people, yet we're not seeing those behaviors change. And they're gathering, you know, for holidays, for events, for social reasons, for school, for work, and they're spreading it. And they're still not convinced. And it just makes me wonder sometimes how people can be so um, tied and dug in about being opinionated and ignorant. You know, you get an opinion. Well, I think you need to believe in science 
And if you don't believe in science, you're not going to want to wear a mask. But I think if you had even the basic understanding of disease spread and you believed in science, you would wear a mask. I don't know that it's that simple because a lot of the people that we see who are not mask wearers do believe in science. You know, they put gas in their car. That's a scientific process. They heat food in the microwave. Science exists, whether they believe it or not. Or the impact of it does. But this is something else. This is about power and control. You could be right. Yeah. People just don't want to be told what to do. Yeah. I could be wrong. Frequently am. (laughs) Well, you know what? You and I are both very interested in politics. Um, But many of my listeners are still new to this arena. And I have often said that for many, many people, especially women, their their entry into recognizing the impact politics has on their lives happens during motherhood, when they're in a position to be, um, you know, fighting for some rights that they may not had have now that they're a parent, or fighting for their child's rights. But I was hoping that you could kind of help me gear the steer the conversation towards some of the ways that politics that you see politics impacting pregnancy and parenting. Because we're in it. This is, you know, we're less than two weeks. By the time this airs, we'll be a week away from the election. And I know that there are still some people out there who are just not into it. It's hard to believe, but it's true. Well, you know, I was not very politically, aside from a short period of time when I was in high school and it was the Save the Whales, I'll date myself, mm-hmm. Save the Whales uh, campaigns in the, you know, uh, late 70s, early 80s. I have been unaware of politics because I could afford to be. I, there was nothing on the docket that negatively impacted me um, until the last few years. And um, I think that when, when your eyes are opened and you start to see the injustices in the world, you, and, and things are going in a direction that is uh, not in keeping with your own personal philosophy, then you have to open your eyes, educate yourself, and become involved in whatever way you can become involved. And I would say that the things that are currently um, big ticket items for me um, is that right now there are 545 children who have been removed from their parents that the U.S. government does not know where their parents are. 545 children, toddlers, and babies who were taken away from their parents and the U S government has no way of reuniting those kids. Yeah. That is beyond horrific. Yeah. Um, there, and that's just, that's the thing that comes to the top of mind for me, but you know, women's reproductive freedom, the, uh, the right to an abortion, the right to gay marriage, uh, the affordable care act, all of these things are really, um, important political issues and they're up, they're front and center right now. 
And so many of those things have to do with parenthood, you know, thinking about um, if you have daughters, thinking about, you know, are your daughters going to have access to contraception? Are they, are they going to have access to safe and legal abortion? Um, are your friends who are gay and lesbian going to be able to be married? Is love really love? Um, are, is, is, are your friends and family who have pre-existing conditions of which my daughter has a pre-existing condition, is she going to be able to get health care? You know, all these things are, you know, they are political things mm-hmm. and they are real issues for real people. Mm-hmm. And so I think once there's something that happens when you become a parent or maybe when you get to a certain age where you just realize, okay, I'm the grown up here and this issue is important. Mm-hmm. And if I don't stand up for what I believe, who's going to stand up for it? I can't, you can't depend on someone else to carry you and to carry your, your convictions. You have to stand up and be heard. Yeah. And especially right now. And, you know, I'm thinking about um, how women are carrying the burden of care during COVID-19. They're working to, you know, take care of their family's, you know, economics. They're uh, taking care of their children. Women uh, usually carry the bulk of the, you know, housework and running of the household. And they're also teaching or helping to teach their kids online curriculums. And all of those things, including connecting that to a lack of childcare and parental leave and, um, you know, all of those issues, those are political issues. We think of them in terms of, well, they're women's issues or they're parenting issues or they're family issues, but that's who we are. We're, they're human issues and they're largely controlled by politics right now. So what are your thoughts about the upcoming Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett? What impact do you think her presence on the Supreme Court could have on the topics we talk about? Well, I think that the Republicans rush to ram through a justice during during an election mm-hmm. and do it in such an abbreviated timeline is a travesty. It is really against the will of the American people. Okay. A large percentage, like something over 75% of American people think that the next president should be the person to pick the Supreme Court justice. Yeah. And the fact that the Republican Senate has refused to entertain any new COVID bills and they went on hiatus, but as soon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, they were anxious to fill that seat with a, um, a, a justice of their choosing who has very little time on the bench. She has, she has not, she does not have the depth of legal experience that most of the other justices have. We know that she's anti-choice. We know that she's anti-Affordable Care Act, and she's anti um, gay marriage, you know, and the longer her um, vetting process takes, the more and more facts come out about her positions and her previous actions. And I personally believe that the reason they're trying to make the period of time so short is they don't want any more information to come out about her. I mean, I just learned this morning that 
for many years, she served on the board of a school that did not admit children who were children of gay and lesbian parents, and that gay and lesbian teachers were not hired at that school. So this is not a person me. who who would be an advocate for LGBT rights. No. And we already know her position on abortion. So that's, you know, that's very clear. And another thing that, that I heard um, during the time that she was being interviewed, or I don't know what they call it, uh, by the Senate Judiciary Committee is that she signed, um, she signed a, a petition against abortion. And when she was asked about it, she said, well, I was leaving church and it was a petition that was like on a table at the end of the hallway. And that was the position of my church. So I signed it. Now, this is not an independent thinker. Mm -hmm. This is not someone that you can trust to look at the facts, weigh them and make a decision. This is a sheep. Mm -hmm. This is someone who just follows along and does what she's told. And I am incredibly disturbed and upset that it looks like the Republicans are going to seat this person as a Supreme Court justice. She is eminently unqualified. She -hmm. couldn't be more different than Ruth Bader Ginsburg than if if you had, you know, come up with a menu of what's the opposite of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The only thing they have in common is that they both have a uterus. And she's a relatively young woman, so she will be sitting in that seat for a long time. For a long time. For a long time. She's, yeah. it, isn't she in her early 40s? Yeah. So yeah. she could potentially be on the court for 40 years. Yeah. Until I'm also, until I'd be almost 100 by the time she was off the court. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's incredibly upsetting when you look at the arc of the Republican hypocrisy when they wouldn't even allow a hearing on a uh, Obama um, nominee that was that occurred eight months before the election. And this person is getting rammed through. The election is happening. Yeah. This is during an election. Mm-hmm. It's 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 be, it's really hard to comprehend. But the, let's be clear. This is a power grab. Yeah. This is an attempt to have the conservative minority of white men drive the direction of the country. It's not representational government. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I'm sorry, I realized, I'm like, oh my God, is my voice getting angry? I'm pretty I'm angry glad. about this. I like angry women's voices. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty angry about this because it is really, it's the height of hypocrisy. It's not what the people of the United States want. And it's very, very bad for women. Make no mistake. It's very bad for women. And it's bad for the women who are tiny babies. It's bad for the women who are toddlers. Bad for the women who are teenagers. It's going to be bad for women. Yeah. So there may not be much that we can do about her um, seat on the Supreme Court. But as you said, we are in an election. It's happening. And people are sending in early votes and um, absentee votes and mail-in votes more than we've seen maybe ever. It's a kind of an incredible uh, amount of people that are already voting. So you and I live in a state 
that has voted by mail for many, many years. I don't know how long. 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. Since 2000. Yeah. Oregon is a vote by mail state. No problems with it. Smooth system. Love it. I'm voting tonight. And, um, but because of the United States Postal Service situation, I'm going to drive it to the election office and pop it into the ballot box. Most years I just pop it in the mail. It's couldn't be easier. What are your thoughts about well, this fabulous system of ours? Well, I love mail, vote by mail. I love the fact that I get a voter's pamphlet that explains the candidate's positions and both sides of a yes versus a no vote on various ballot measures. And I can sit down at my kitchen table with a cup of coffee and fill out my ballot and um, take it take it in. Yeah. And typically, I usually drop my ballot at the library because they have a voting box. Mm-hmm. But this year, because of the issues with the Postal Service and because of COVID, um, I decided that our ballots needed to go directly to the um, county election office. So my daughter turned 18 this summer, and this is her first time voting in a presidential election. So our family uh, drove over to the Multnomah County election uh, drop box. And she drops the drops all the ballots into the slot, mm-hmm. and it was a tiny bit anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. But I'm really glad she got the opportunity to do that. So, right. yeah, I bypassed both the library and the post office this year because of for those reasons. But I'm uh, my vote is in. Yep, good. Mine will be in tomorrow. Yeah, my vote is in, mm-hmm. and I think that um, you know one of the things. I've been talking to my daughter about is, you know, make sure all your friends vote, you know, in the state of Oregon, when you register for a driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. So anybody who has a driver's license in the state of Oregon is automatically registered to vote. And so lots of her friends drive and have just turned 18. So we've talked about, it's not enough to be registered to vote. You actually have to exercise your franchise and go vote. So it sounds like all of her friends are voting. And, um, so, so they're adding to the numbers and I read, I read somewhere that something like 200 times as many people have voted early currently as had at the same time in 2016. 200 times. That's the way you get out the vote. That's how you get out the vote. That's how it's done. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate because I think we live in a part of the country where people want you to vote. There, I don't feel like there's voter suppression except for the national, you know, efforts to, you know, screw with the post office. I don't feel like we live in a part of the country where voter suppression is um, obvious. I mean, we have ballot boxes everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your ballot in the mail. You don't have to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And you know, the expectation is that you vote. And I look at footage and film from parts of the country where people are waiting like all day to vote. And, you know, that takes some, I'm grateful and it takes a lot of tenacity, but I would actually like to see election day be a national holiday and have it be easy for everyone to vote. I agree with you. And it should all be vote by mail. Everybody should do that. It's the easiest way. It it disenfranchises entire groups of voters who have issues with transportation or getting time off work, you know, so that they can go to the ballot uh, po- or the polling place, you know, just take care of 
problems all over the country. But what we know right now is that is not the goal of um, that is not the goal. That is not the goal of this administration. Yeah. The other thing about voting by mail that I just feel like I need to put a plug in is that these are hand marked paper ballots. So these are not voting machines that can be screwed with. These are hand marked paper ballots. Mm-hmm. So if there needs to be a recount of any kind, there's a record. Yep. And um, and I I think that you know, this administration is frightened of what will happen when people vote. Yeah. They're not going to stay in power mm-hmm. if it's a free and fair election. That's my, that's my belief. Yeah. Well, I'm feeling a little hopeful, but I'm also feeling more cynical this time than I did in 2016. So I am going to just hold my breath and cross my fingers and light a candle and um, hope a little. Yeah. Well, Chris, Can I tell you about yeah. something that gave me a lot of hope? Please, please. I will. And I don't usually, I'm, I'm not a huge TV or movie watcher because I'm more of a reader, mm-hmm. but there is an incredible documentary called As I See It that is Pete Souza, who was Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama's official White House photographer. Ah, so yes. he was in the White House for eight years plus however many years he was in for Reagan. There is a documentary about him called As I See It that is incredible. Mm. It will make you cry. It will give you hope. It will remind you of what we had and what we can hopefully have again. Mm. And I, I watched it last week when it, when it first rolled out and I found it incredibly inspiring. Oh, good. So I would say that anybody who has, you know, a couple hours that needs a dose of um, hope, watch it. Love it's it. on a bunch of uh, platforms, but I, I don't remember what they are right now, mm-hmm. but it was originally aired on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. So it may be aired on there again, but you know, Pete Souza, as I see it, give you hope, That's make cool. you cry yeah, in a good way, not cry in a bad way. Well, what else, what else do you want listeners to know this week as we wrap things up? Um, did we talk hmm. it out? Did we talk it out? I I feel like I talked it out. Okay. <laughs> well, then I'm going to let you off the hook. And I'll hit you again next month with the rapid fire roundup questions. This this month, we'll let you off the hook. Thanks, Chris. It's always good to You're talk welcome, to you. You're welcome, Jeannie. And yeah. for your listeners who haven't voted yet, do it tonight. Do it tomorrow. Do it ASAP. Yeah. It's important. And when we talk next yeah. month, we'll know what happened. We'll know what happened. We will. Yeah. 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 All right, Chris. We'll talk again soon. All right, Jeannie. Thanks so much. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. That's it for this week, everybody. Head on over to my website, jeanfaulkner.com, to learn more about me. Email me, jean at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me, at jeanfaulkner. And find us on Instagram and Facebook, at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.